Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 18th, 2021. I am John Pothoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. We are four days out from the roast of Rabbi Mayor Soloveitch at Commentary's big annual event here in New York City. Uh, if you're coming, I can't wait to see you. If you're not coming, as Shakespeare says in Henry V, you shall call yourself a curse that you were not among the band of brothers there that day. So save up your pennies for next year. I don't know who we're roasting next year, but uh, it's always good. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Um, so uh, the House censured Representative Paul Gosar yesterday Uh in an act that, uh, when you look back in history, turns out to have been um, astonishingly rare. Like, there appear to only have been six censures in the last hundred years. And uh, interestingly enough, the last one having been of long-term rascally rapscallion cutie pie representative Charlie Rangel of New York, who was found to have been skirting all kinds of rules and laws relating to rent control in New York and all kinds of things. Um, so we have this thing that is almost never used, and here it is, and they've used it against Paul Gosar. Um, and uh, there seems to be in general an idea that this was a foolish move because Republicans are just going to use it against Democrats when Democrats lose power and Republicans get back into power. And my view is the more of this, the better more uh, ethics investigations that target uh, disgraceful congressmen. Congress has always circled the wagons uh, against its own bad behavior uh, on precisely on these grounds that you never know who's going to be in the majority, who's going to be in the minority, who's going to want to take get a pass for being doing ethically questionable things. Uh, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Let's not make a big deal out of congressional misbehavior. And uh, given the fact that congressional misbehavior, particularly in terms of personal conduct, seems to be increasing uh, in frequency and amount, uh, and particularly in relation to each other in a way that we haven't really seen since people were you know, beating each other up on the floor of the Senate before the Civil War, uh, I, got, I got no problem with this. You know, If Democrats want to pull out this quiver and censure Paul Gosar, then it's like, okay, you're in trouble because then we're going to censure Ilhan Omar. Good. Ilhan Omar should be censured. She was, should have been censured two years ago by her own caucus and wasn't. So I got no problem with this, but I understand that people are now looking at it and thinking, oh, this is just a partisan move and da-da-da. Well, isn't the fear that it becomes a... Uh the seriousness of the tool starts to be um, uh, downgraded in the same way that impeachment has become totally politicized. And one can assume that the party in power is going to try to impeach the other president. I mean, that, that's the argument. I'm actually, I'm with you, John. I think that they don't censor uh, hateful conduct enough. And in this particular case, this was, you know, encouraging violence against a member of Congress and against the president. It doesn't, it seems like a no brainer. Um, I, I have to say, I think, further censure, but uh, we're going to see a real pushback and it's going to be called racist if Republicans try to censure anyone in the squad, for example, for their anti-Semitism. The media is not going to play this game when it, when the R&D are flipped. I am discomfited by this. I, I got to admit, um, I, I, Paul Gosar is an odious figure. He deserves no slack whatsoever, but I have to confess 
to be honest. When I first saw this video, I didn't see it as bad. I really didn't. I saw it as silly, as stupid, as somebody who is familiar with anime. It's an anime convention. But it, at no point did I believe that anybody was going to take a, a katana and behead a member of Congress. And if that's your inclination, then you're inclined towards that with or without Paul Gosar's bizarre, self-aggrandizing effort to position himself as an anime rock star figure. That's all I saw it as. And it's pretty stupid. But does it rise to the level of censure? I don't know. All his other past conduct does. So this is a tool to uh, t to punish him for past conduct. Then it's arguable, even though it's sort of a, a roundabout way to impose some discipline on this guy, long-deserved discipline, uh, a mentally unstable individual in my view. But in this particular infraction, it, it, didn't, it didn't do it for me. And I think it's being used as a way to retroactively police misconduct by this guy. That that's interesting because I I first saw the anime video yesterday. Managed to uh, track it down, and um, what I don't think it was is what people some people are describing it as was a threat. Um, it it wasn't a threat. Now I happen to think it was disgraceful and uh, potentially dangerous because, as we know, uh, there's no telling who will see it. Uh, and be inspired to do whatever they will by it. But it was not actually a threat. Um, and people shouldn't say it's a threat. Um, on the larger question of if this is a good move or not, I mean, I, I, John, I'm essentially in agreement with you. But, you know, the problem here is that every action like this, every good action in the current climate opens up an additional front in the partisan war that then becomes a spectacle. And that and that then sort of takes on a whole life of its own, detached from its original importance and 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 what it means. And yeah, I fear that happening. That's exactly right. And to the extent that the minority party, whose whose members are being removed from committee posts because they're terrible people now, and yeah, good. So that they'll do that to the other side when they get in power, sure. But they're not going to do it to the right people. They're going to do it to the people who are politically valuable to the other side, who are important, who annoy them more than anything, it won't be used in the right ways. So you're opening up the, you're expanding the terms of engagement in ways you can't actually contain. I, I think these are both very good arguments that you're making against it. And my, my own saying that I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it does have to do with a sense that, um, uh, like I say, is a, a larger historical sense that the, the, the Congress has, has, has traditionally, done nothing but act like its own members should and could and ought to be able to behave with impunity because they're all kind of in a, not a conspiracy, but they're all in a kind of a gang with each other and they want to have enough freedom of movement on all sides so that the rogues get to be rogues and that the ordinary people get to be ordinary people and that uh, and that it's sort of understood that, um, you know, there's a mutual defense treaty where you don't sort of do stuff like this, which is why it's only happened, like I say, six times in the last hundred years. Um, and that, that's my problem with it. Um, I don't believe in the discipline, the disciplinary aspect uh, that people often talk about with the Congress, which is, you know, people should get thrown out. Voters make the decisions who are who who is and who is not employed to represent them in Congress, not the Congress itself. 
uh, expulsion is an extraordinarily extreme step, right? I think there's only been one. I think Alcee Hastings was, excuse me, not Alcee. Anyway, there, there, there barely been any expulsions in, in, in the history of the United States because there's this idea somehow that, you know, you, uh, the voters are paramount and they choose. And, but what you can do is say within our organization, you cannot do whatever you want. Like you couldn't go around, you couldn't, you know, slap somebody across the face. You couldn't beat somebody up. You couldn't, you know, you can't, you can't commit a crime on the floor of the house, whatever it is. Uh, they have to be kind of self-policing in part because of congressional, because of laws that limit the ability of the executive branch to reach in and, you know, and, 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 uh, and enforce Congressional immunity gives uh, gives congressmen a great amount of leeway, so there has to be some some self policing. But I do think that you guys make a good point that um, rather than this being a way of ending Congress serving as a platform rather than a molder, uh, it it might you know inadvertently or even advertently increase it, right? Because I think everybody understands that the Gosar censure is part of a desperate democratic tactic to try to say that you know what republicans are trying to do in the united states is increase political violence and they're you know this is a this is an example of that the only act of explicit political violence we know happened in the united states in the last five years was the guy who shot the bernie sanders supporter who went and shot up the congressional softball game and that wasn't right that wasn't a right winger you know with an you know with an AK-47 that was somebody who decided that you know Republicans were beyond the pale and went and tried to shoot as many of them as possible uh the point about that is not to say that you know Democrats are more violent than Republicans and that political violence is somehow on one you know is something is, is endemic to Democrats because I don't believe that either but it is to say that yeah you need to draw a real distinction between imagined satirical violence and real violence but abe's also right i think that you don't really know where that line is necessarily and you don't know who's going to be inspired by by something i mean the simple fact of the matter is that it's disgraceful that he's in the house and it is a it is a shonda on the voters of his district in arizona that they keep voting him in it's nauseating and of course when you have a person like that in it helps open that Overton window so that you get Marjorie Taylor Greene and and Lauren Boebert and other you know deranged lunatics just as opening certain windows led to the squad on the other side with that let me pause and talk to you guys about the very chair that I'm sitting in right now the X chair Oh man, right now I'm getting a little massage on my back, feels great, making me feel all oozy and schmoozy inside. If I were hot, I could turn on the LMX temperature regulation and give myself a way of cooling down. If I were cold, I could get it to warm me up. That's what the LMX does, and I'm feeling the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, DVL. Uh, which really does provide the kind of uh, support to your back that makes sitting in a desk chair for hours on end something not only possible but pleasurable. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons I love my X chair. Try, take my advice. Try it for 30 days, risk free. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back from the X chair. I promise. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair. 
commentary.com or call one 844 chair for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchaircommentary.com. <clears throat> okay, where do we go from here? Uh, Joe, uh, can I can I yeah. can I say one brief thing? Uh, since you brought up Lauren Boebert and and uh, there was another little spat on the floor of the house, uh, Lauren Boebert kind of ranting about Eric Swalwell and just just doing her crazy uh, thing. Uh, but interestingly, uh, a very uh, moralizing Elon Omar responded with a tweet that said, "Luckily, my dad illiterate. I have to say where she says, luckily my dad raised me right. Otherwise, I might have gone to the floor to talk about this insurrectionist who sleeps with a pervert." I'm grateful I was raised to be a decent human and not a deprived person who shamefully defecates and defiles the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she did a little you know, thank you hands and said, thank God. Uh, first of all, I don't know how one defecates the House of Representatives. So there's that. But it, it was pretty galling for those of us who've, who've watched this anti-Semite uh, go unpunished for her actions for years, sit there and start lecturing the Republicans, granted crazy Lauren Boebert, but lecturing Republicans on proper decorum and how to treat one another um, to say nothing of her getting into the weeds about who one marries given her own kind of murky past. So I just, yeah, I, just I mean, did her father want her, issue. Yeah. Did her father yeah. want her to marry her brother or was that, <laughs> is that, is that, was that not, where does the decency in you know um, in a in an incestuous marriage that was apparently a green card uh, you know a, an effort to bluff on a green card does that fe- feature into calculate into the sort of you know common human decency that she <clears throat> is the wonderful representative of while she is accusing Jews of uh, throwing Benjamins around to control the levers of power in the United States. And while her district suffers from serious problems to which her uh, grandstanding on the House floor is doing nothing to, to solve. So, yeah, I do. I think it speaks to what, you know, Yuval has written about and we've talked about at length about Congress becoming a platform for people like she's she's using it in that way rather than using rather than being a legislator. It also, I think, um, highlights what's so depressing about this whole incident and, and, and what's depressing for me about the, the Gosar thing even even though it's not a threat is just the childishness of the the mode of fighting here and you know between you know his people in his position shouldn't be putting up anime uh videos of anything uh they shouldn't be sniping at each other talking about defecation on twitter at all i mean we're we're down to such a base level um just before we even get into the content but but just the mode is is so depressing. Um, it, it just it's. Crushing. Hey, that's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> we're here to be depressed to tell you why you should be depressed and to try to deprive you of any energy to fight back against the you know the stains of our time. Um, we also have Corey Bush, another member of the squad, uh, tweeting out a patent lie about how when she was protesting in Ferguson, Missouri, white supremacists were shooting at her and other protesters. This is not true. There is no. It's there, her truth. Yeah, it's her truth, which is to say a lie uh, because it didn't happen. And, uh, you know, there are things that are true and there are things that are not true and bullets being fired at people at uh where there were hundreds of cops around looking precisely to prevent things like that from happening, uh, didn't happen. 
And our friends at the Free Beacon, I should add, tracked down and, and interviewed some law enforcement in that area and found that uh, contrary to what she was saying, the only people firing were protesters who were firing at cops at the uh, during the window of time that she was talking about. So not only was she not shot at by white supremacists, but the people whom she has staked her political career on and totally supports and the movement she came out of were trying to kill cops. So, you know, you know now we have a, a, a wormhole now has opened up where there are two realities on this now, right? There, there are the people who believe that she was fired on, uh, and there are the people who know she was not. And that th- now we, we have yet another example of, of our existing on two different planes in this country. Well, there are so, the people who know she was not, and then there are people who will refuse to say that they know she is not, lest they give the people who know she wasn't shot at ammunition to say this person is bad. Look, if what they want is to be reality television stars. The obvious thing to happen now <clears throat> is for Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Corey Bush, Ilhan Omar, and a couple other people. And Eric Swalwell. To to, I mean, uh, I don't Eric I, I think that speech was kind of obnoxious, but there's yeah. no one in this conflict okay. worthy of defending. Right, but they should all get a contract with CBS and do Survivor Congress. They should. They should find an island. <laughs> I would watch that. <laughs> in the, you know, the in, around the Northern Marianas and they should go there for 30 days and see what what happens cuz that's what they want. That is all they want. And there was of course a reality star in the Congress, uh, you know, Sean Duffy, uh, who was on Road Rules, was 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 a successful congressman who had to leave in order to support his his family with eight children and one with special needs. So, and he met his wife actually uh, at a real Road Rules real world reunion. His wife, um, uh, Rachel Campos. So, you know, there good things can come out of such things. But I mean, that's really what they want. I mean, that is what AOC is, after all. She's an Instagram feed. She's not a, she's not a member of Congress. Um, Who are we to say it's not what the public wants? I mean, we're talking about I, a significant I think the public portion would of, want the, it. of the legislature. We could be talking about the White House, which was previously occupied by a reality television star. That's this what I'm what saying. what people want. Give the people what they want. That now we sound is... like the Biden administration because the American people have disappointed us. <laughs> <laughs> well, when by the way, when people try to give the public what they want and they make a movie that doesn't work or a television show that doesn't rate, they're very disappointed in the American people. You know, they just say things like, all people want to do is watch superhero movies when they make a movie that people don't don't want to see, rather than, you know, assuming that maybe they were the ones responsible for that uh, failure. Um and I appreciate that. I mean, everybody needs to have a self-justifying argument to get through the well, this day. This is so. why populism is just awful, isn't it? I mean, in part because the public doesn't know what they want. Like, this is the popularity argument and why it's so silly. First of all, it's built on a foundation of sand. Popularity shifts. And second of all, the, the public routinely says things that are contradictory and uh, in conflict with each other. They love spending. They hate debt. So if you're going to say, oh, the American public loves the, you know, the Build Back Better agenda, which most polls show that they're supportive of, but then they show how much it costs. It's like, oh, that's terrible. We don't want that. Well, what do you want? Yeah. Look, I would like to, look, I would love to own a Maybach. I want to, I'd own a Maybach. All things, if you said to me, do you want to own a Maybach? The answer is yes. I would like to own a Maybach or a Maserati or, you know, or a, 
or a mansion in Aspen or, you know, a house on the big island in Hawaii, but I can't afford it. But of course, if the question is, do I want one or any of these things? The answer would be, of course, sure. Like, it's like, no, I don't want that. I would prefer to continue driving my 11-year-old Honda Odyssey. You know, thanks very much. I mean, you know, I mean, it, that, that that's one of the weirdnesses of this of this pitch about how, you know, about how it's really popular. It's like, do you want all this free stuff? Sure. You're just going to give it to me. Why am I not going to take it? And then it's like, but guess what? It's not really free. And they're like, oh, it's not free. Then I don't really need it. I guess, you know, I can stick with my 11-year-old Honda Odyssey. But, you know, if you want free stuff, I do have some free stuff to offer you from Moinkbox. You can get free ground beef for a year if you go to moinkbox.com slash commentary right now to get this, you know, grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon that is delivered direct to your door. They help family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture with animals raised outdoors, fish swimming wild in the ocean, and meat from Moink free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other junk you find prepackaged in the meat aisle. Sign up at moinkbox.com slash commentary to get a year of ground beef for free. There's no gimmick here. Year of ground beef for free if you sign up for a year at moinkbox.com. And pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. Change what you get each month and cancel any time. Moink was founded by an eighth-generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank. Host Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever tasted. And Jamie Simonoff, creator of the Ring Video Doorbell, invested in Moink. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash commentary right now. And listeners to this show get free ground beef for a year. That's one year of the best ground beef. You'll ever taste, but for a limited time, spelled M-O-I-N-K box dot com slash commentary. That's moinkbox dot com slash commentary. So um, I, uh, I I have been obsessively watching the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. I, I don't think you guys have been. Uh, and when I say obsessively watching, I don't just mean the testimony. I mean what's been going on since the jury retired to the jury box where um, – and this is where my ignorance of actual, you know, hard criminal cases goes. Um, you know, apparently the case is nowhere near over, even though the jury has gotten it and is deliberating over it, because there is a real question of whether or not there is going to be a mistrial as a result of prosecu- prosecutorial misconduct, both during the questioning and then involving a key piece of evidence that was entered in very late of a drone video in which a photograph of Kyle Rittenhouse in a confrontation with one of the people that he shot was blown up. It's almost, you know, illegible, but blown up. And 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 for reasons that uh, seem very complicated, um, the prosecution had a much higher resolution video than the video that they provided to the defense. Uh, and um, the defense is making a credible case that something untoward happened here where they were presented with this low resolution video apparently on purpose uh 20 minutes after the video was logged in as state's evidence the copy that they received 21 minutes later had a different name on the file and was two-thirds smaller in size 
and the prosecutor facing the judge said he didn't know how it happened. Maybe the maybe the defense's phone compressed the video, uh, which wouldn't explain why the file name had changed and why somebody spotted on the prosecutor's computer a logo for a video compression software uh, called Headbreak or something like that. And apparently it's a thing you drop your video on it and it shrinks it down. And so the question is, did they knowingly and purposefully supply them with a low-resolution file so that they could so that so that they wouldn't be able to use the high resolution file as some kind of as exculpatory evidence because it was clearer i mean this is very hard to follow you really have been obsessively yeah. following it though wow what you have you really have been obsessively closely following it you well okay so in any case compression right. service so in any case the, the what's interesting about the case is that it all goes to whether or not Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse was a acting in self-defense when he shot these three people, uh, or whether he provoked the confrontations, which then the provocation standard would mean that he had surrendered his right to self-defense. If he had been the one aggressing against them, they then come at him, and then he shoots them. You cannot call that self-defense. They were the people acting in self-defense. That is the that is the provocation argument. The weird part of the provocation argument is that it was only advanced very late in the trial by the prosecution, in part because it somehow mysteriously got its hands on this drone footage, which is the central... Um, evidence that they're adducing to try to convince the jury that Kyle Rittenhouse was not, in fact, acting in self-defense. Um, it's a very interesting case, as is always the case with these sorts of cases. People start getting you know, overly involved in, is the judge good or bad? Is the defense good or bad? Is the prosecution good or bad? Who's doing a good job? Who's doing a bad job? What's going on? When, of course, you you like it when you like them when it's, you feel like it's going the way you want it to go, and you hate them if you think that it's going the wrong way. And then the judge is sitting there like Lancito in the in the in the uh, OJ trial, um, because you have this TV fantasy that the judge is some kind of Solon from on high who can make these Olympian independent judgments when all he is supposed to be doing is running the trial and making sure that it that what goes on is conforming to uh, within the bounds of proper legal practice and constitutional rights and not, he's not supposed to be making decisions like that. Uh, um, and so his conduct really doesn't matter that much. Uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if there's a jury that is supposed to be the, the, the people who are, who can, are handling can I just it. add that there's been a lot, the judge himself has received threats, um, uh, some evidently violent threats against him and this this really bothers me because threats against judges in general, I don't care whether the judge is conservative or liberal or what they are. This is not something that, that can go that we should allow or or even begin or accept as normal. Judges have been murdered uh, in, in our country's history because they were just doing their job. So that is very concerning. There were some earlier uh, sort of in, intimidation tactics being used even against the jury, like people would stand there and film them as they got in, on and off the bus that, that was taking them to and from the trial. So the idea that... Uh, and, and it's not clear who the supporters, if these are supporters of Rittenhouse or or or, uh, or not. But 
this is concerning. Like, we do not want to see that kind of violent threat being issued against people who are just trying to uphold the rule of law and, and allow justice to take its course. I will say the judge does have a little discretion in terms of what can be admitted as evidence. And, no, but and that, that is what whatnot. is going on now. See, that's right, what's interesting exactly. about what's going on here, which is that the judge clearly wants the jury to come back with a, with a verdict. Because if the jury comes back with a verdict of not guilty, then his job is done. If the jury comes back with a verdict of guilty, he may actually have to overturn the verdict. He's taking a calculated risk that the jury will come back with a verdict of not guilty because it, there there is reason to believe that at least in two cases, particularly where the prosecution tried to make the jury believe that Kyle Rittenhouse keeping silent in front of cops and not providing his narrative of the case to the police officers who had arrested him was proof that he was guilty. In other words, he exercised his Fifth Amendment rights and his right to remain silent, and they tried to use that as evidence that he was guilty of the crimes. And the judge screamed at the prosecution, screamed, I, I mean, I, you know, again, I don't really, I've not really been in courtrooms that much, but it was, it was, it was, it was pretty startling because it was, this was a real violation of elementary constitutional rights of Kyle Rittenhouse's elementary constitutional rights. And for that alone, the lawyers, his defense lawyers asked for a mistrial, uh, either I can't a mistrial without prejudice or with prejudice, which meant that the mistrial is called and that the prosecution cannot retry. The the case with the video, they've actually asked for a mistrial in the opposite way, which is that in theory there should be a mistrial, but but the prosecution could retry the case uh, under under that motion. And he basically has said four or five times, "You are on a knife's edge. I am very queasy about what you're doing to the prosecution." And you know, you are. This is a house of. He said yesterday, "This is a house of cards you're building to the prosecution." So clearly he is very much tempted to declare uh, Misra overturn a jury verdict of guilty if it comes in and is tainted because he doesn't want to be reversed by a by an appeals court. It's very interesting. It's not quite the case that people want it to be. Conservatives seem to want to make Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, a sort of Jeffersonian hero you know, kid in the middle of, you know, like taking responsibility for his community and himself and going out and just trying to help people and then getting, you know, waylaid by these crazy people. And uh, that's a, I think that's a bit of a pull. Clearly he was, he was acting out in some partially maybe motivated by that and partially out of some fantasy uh, of being sort of like a superhero savior of the city batman type and you know that's really not the best thing either but that's what people seem to want him to be and then of course there is the bizarrery of the left which seems to want to claim that he killed black people you know and that this is a crime involving uh racial inequities and racism when there was a riot due to a due to a confrontation between um, a black man and the and the police, and then two days later, three white men assailed Kyle Rittenhouse one way or the other. One of them hit him with a skateboard. Uh, you know, uh, two of them advanced, appeared to have advanced and charged not charged him. Uh, one of them pointed a gun at him, 
and and so you know if you if you take that to be the case like the notion that that three you know antifa or psychopathic people or both come at him and the, and they're white and that's somehow a racial crime that's pretty astonishing okay well i guess you know i don't know what you guys were doing this week you know christine was writing a long article I don't know. So you're excused from not having watched, you know, endless video feeds of 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 lawyers talking about this and watching the case and watching the judge yell at people and play Jeopardy with people in the courtroom and tell stories I will say, about when he was delivered the Milwaukee Journal as a young boy uh, as a paper on his paper route. I will say because I actually have I have sat on a jury many many times because I live in the District of Columbia so I'm called often for DC service I'm called for federal grand jury service for federal there's a lot of jury pools if you live in DC and you get called every year and a half. I get called about every year and a half and I've served on many the the, the judge's role the judge as a kind of um, uh, setting the mood character in in a courtroom is very important, and that the yelling part that you mentioned, John, that was unusual. And I've sat on criminal trials. I've sat well, the on the jury civil wasn't trials. there. The jury, the jury wasn't, wasn't there. Right. Right. Wasn't um, present when when the judge had these confrontations with the prosecution. Right. But when he when you say, are on you a jury, go, can you just go into the library for a little bit? And then he would go, you are playing with fire, mister. You know, Right. But, you you know, if you're a jury member and you've been sent out of the room for a minute and you come back in, you can immediately tell who's been scolded because they look like a puppy that's just been told to go back to their crate. And always you can tell like somebody did something and you try to puzzle it out. It's kind of I mean, I enjoy being a member of a jury. It's it's a service I'd never mind uh uh, performing, but yeah, this judge in particular—he's—he's he's been on the bench a long time. He knows what he's doing. He does not take disrespect of of the law or his courtroom uh, lightly. Well, I, I did catch the part where the judge was talking about how he's going to think twice before having cameras in the courtroom again, um, because of the the in his estimation the the media distortion of the case. And then, of course, I watched the coverage of that statement on the networks. Um, where they were immediately saying, like, this is very unusual to have a, a judge comment on the on the media in that way. Is, it, is that really his job? Is that, you know, uh, yeah. whereas if he had made a comment about how, you know, if 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 the media had uh, distorted the case in a way that the networks liked and he made this comment, they'd say I think it was a really brave, important statement that the judge made there, you know. Right. Well, it was also interesting because he he was during again the jury was not present, but he was sort of reading from things in the Milwaukee Journal and complaining about them. And um, you know, it's like the first time he's ever been sort of like in a prominent you know you know as as, as he was like reading the comments. Like you should never read the comment. Anyway. With that, we will bid you adieu until tomorrow. We will be joined tomorrow by our friend David Bonson to talk about his book, There's No Free Lunch. Until then, for Aim, Christina, Noah, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.